When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 493rd episode of the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the top young stars in Hollywood. At just 25, she's seemingly everywhere. Indeed, over the last year, she received two Emmy nominations, Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for Euphoria and Best Supporting Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or TV Movie for The White Lotus. She landed a spot on Time Magazine's 100 Next List, and she is now garnering the best reviews of her career and, once again, Emmy buzz for her portrayal of reality winner, a former NSA contractor who leaked government secrets, in Tina Satter's HBO movie, Reality. She's a young woman described by Elle as the TikTok demographic's favorite bombshell and the queen of Gen Z characters, Hollywood's newest it girl, Sydney Sweeney. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, Sweeney reflected on how, as a child, she convinced her parents to let her pursue an acting career and the sacrifices her whole family made as a result, including living in a one-room motel room for nine months, how she landed the part of Cassie on Euphoria and found that in much the same way Cassie is judged for being sexual, she has been judged for playing Cassie. How she has juggled newfound fame's cons, such as loss of privacy and panic attacks, and pros, including the validation of receiving Emmy noms on the same day for her portrayal of two polar opposite characters. Why she is so proud of reality, the first film on which she was number one on the call sheet, and which was made in just 16 days on a shoestring budget, Plus, much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Sydney, thank you so much for coming in to do this. And uh, great to have you on this podcast. We always begin truly at the beginning. Can you tell our listeners where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited that we're finally getting to talk to each other. Uh, I was born and raised in Spokane, Washington, which is a smaller city on the border of Washington and Idaho State. Uh, My mom did not work growing up, but she was, uh, uh, she practiced law. And then my dad was a pharmaceutical rep. And if I have my info correct, it seems like maybe the reason acting first entered the picture is basically like, Essentially, the the circus came to town like they were just making a movie <laughs> in town. They were. I, I'd always told my parents that I wanted to be an actress, but they thought it was like 
a little girl wanting to be a princess. It was just some, something so out of left field mm-hmm. and something that no one had any clue what this world even was. And they just kept dismissing it. And then when the small little indie came to town and I found out about it, I put together a five-year business plan presentation. How old were you at this point? I was like 11. Okay. <laughs> of what could happen if they let me audition for this movie. And what was the what were some of the key points here? It was if I book this, then I will meet a director and I will meet producers and I'll meet people who will be able to introduce me to other people. If we go to Seattle, I can get an agent. That agent will then be able to connect me with commercials and TV shows and we could go to pilot season. I started researching what pilot season was and I kind of just laid it all out of what we should do in the next five years. How did that go over? They were like, oh, shit, she's very <laughs> serious about this. <laughs> and so you guys, I mean, what was it relocating initially to Seattle or Portland or where was it? We would take little drives to Seattle. My dad grew up in Seattle, in Edgewood, so it was like mm-hmm. a little outside of Seattle. So we would drive and visit his parents, my nan and papa, and spend some time there. And I would do short film auditions and commercial auditions. And I guess I should say, so they let you do the, that they movie. Let me, they let yeah. me do the movie, and I booked it, yes. and it was a small little zombie movie. <laughs> I think I said two words, but it was amazing. It was such a cool, crazy thing. And once we started doing the Seattle stuff, everyone said, you guys should go try pilot season. And so we would drive down to L.A., my mom and I. How long a schlep is that from? It's like an 18, 19-hour drive. Oh. And there was a point where... If I had one audition, my parents were so incredible. My mom was so incredible that we would, I would get done with school at three o'clock, get in the car. We would drive all night so I could get there in the morning, do the audition, and then stay there for the day, then drive back. So I only missed one day of school. Wow. And it seems like, I guess the actual move to LA, can you talk about what, you had started to book a few things It made it, did it make it seem like, you know, I mean, that's a big step, right? To, it was for, a huge step. Yeah. I think it was a combination of a bunch of things where my whole family kind of fell in love with this this whole crazy process mm-hmm. and how exciting and new and different it was every single day. Uh, it broke up the routine that everyone lives in. So we wanted to be here. Uh, they saw how happy I was. And so we started spending more time in L.A. instead of it being a day at a time, it'd be a week. And then it turned into a month and then it turned into me homeschooling. Was this one of those like you sometimes hear about, with, especially with pilot season, like and and kid actors, Oakwood Apartments or something? Or? It was Oakwood, Oakwood Apartments. <laughs> <laughs> it was Oakwood Apartments. It was. But, you know, I, I made some of my greatest friends there. Yeah. I'm, I'm still friends with uh, the Emery's, Zane Emery and his family, who I built my, my Bronco with. Like, All we're right. still best friends to this day. So I'm very glad for some of those experiences. But yes, the Oakwood. There you go. <laughs> and then at 14, is that where you guys, because I guess the for people who are listening and don't know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. it's sort of like if I remember correctly, like month to month furnished, like so that you can come and go and people do. It was month to month. It was the cheapest place that you could find in LA. Yeah. Uh, And it just, it worked great for families that were coming for pilot season and needed a place like that to stay. And around 13, 14 years old, I think that's also when uh, 
2008 crash, like everything happened. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad lost his job and we couldn't afford continually going back and forth. And we decided to stay in LA and we lost everything back home and we were just in LA. And that was, that was a crazy, crazy change. And so this, you're, you're 14 at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Was it, from that point, still Oakwood, or I had heard a story about. No, the- I moved into. We were in uh, the Holiday Inn in Burbank. We had a hotel room. I think we got it for like nine or nine hundred or a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like fifteen and sixteen at this point with my little brother, my mom, and my dad in one room, one bathroom. My mom and I shared a bed, and then my my little brother and my dad shared the couch and that was that was crazy but my brother and I turned it into sweet life of Zach and Cody we try <laughs> to find the positive in all of it right and I guess the reason to stick with it through you know that's not ideal living situation but mm-hmm. you started booking things I mean can I just I don't know uh, I'm trying to do the math so when you're 14 that's 2011, you were yeah, born? yeah, 2011. So okay, so up to that, leading up to that, I just want to mention. I don't know if these were the biggest ones to you, but just to just to tell people some of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Guest spot on Criminal Minds. What was supposed to be a recurring part on Heroes on NBC, right? What happened yeah. with that one? Uh, <laughs> the full honesty, they gave my power away to someone who um, was older, and they like got naked and. <laughs> Okay, as it goes, sure. Um, uh, Then we have nine episodes, single episodes of nine hundred two one zero Grey's Anatomy, on and on. Um, So, did you feel like things, given at that time, where it's an episode here, an episode there, it's small part? You know, look at the credits; it's like girl in whatever. Oh yeah, I was I was taking anything that I could book. But was so was that. Exciting. Did you feel like you were getting towards what your goal or did it feel like it was not going no. where you wanted it to be? It was not going where I wanted I wanted it to be. It's hard. Yeah, I was going to I was say. auditioning. I would have two, sometimes three auditions a day for weeks and weeks and weeks and not even get a call back. And throughout all this, you're in regular school? Yes. And apparently not just like, you know, phoning it in. You were the valedictorian? I was. And what were some of the extracurriculars that were going on? Uh, well, I took all AP classes. My my parents have always said education's number one. Like my my mom was pretty strict on that. And I loved school. I actually missed school. Mm-hmm. I loved it so much. I loved homework. I loved tests. I was <laughs> I was a nerd. Uh, and I think education is really important. So I stuck with it. So I imagine at some point you guys to to go and see friends or family or whatever, you would go back to Spokane. Mm-hmm. What were those visits like in those days? It was hard. Um, I felt embarrassed. Why? Uh, because I uprooted my entire family for a dream that I had. And it's something that you can clearly and apparently see if you're succeeding or not from the outside world. And it was so drastically different. My I had family and friends who couldn't believe that we were going to such a hell-ridden city or that we would uplift our entire family for something like this. And it was just change. It was something that change scares people sometimes. And 
they'd be like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to have real dreams and expectations on life? And so it was hard. And then I guess to compound things, there is this around the time when your parents split up? Yes, when I was 17. And so, I mean, you've talked about that. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because I, you know, life's hard enough to be 17 anywhere, not, you know, having kind of relocated with your family and trying mm-hmm. to, like, you've said it was like kind of a a situation where you sort of blamed yourself, even though that nobody else was saying that. Yeah, of course. I think, I think a lot of kids in, in families where your parents put up, like, you blame yourself. Um, but it was really hard because it was a lot of things culminating at the same time. And so we had, we lost our house back home. We're not stable in LA. I'm not succeeding at what I'm dreaming of doing. Um, and then parents are splitting up at the same time. So it was, it was a lot of this, it was a lot, but you know what? It made for some good material. Yeah, here we have stuff to talk about. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was there ever, though, a point where you doubted things so seriously that you would have walked away from this? No, I never believed in failing. Mm-hmm. So I guess one obvious question, just given that, you know, Euphoria is one of your big credits. Mm-hmm. Was your high school experience <laughs> remotely no. like this? <laughs> no, I actually i've I've never been to a high school party. What was that? How, I how never did went that to happen? a college party. I I don't drink. Mm-hmm. I've never tried any drugs. Uh, when I say like I love school, like I was a nerd. <laughs> I I just focused on my schoolwork and I focused on auditioning. So, if there was a like first break, mm-hmm. would it be getting sharp objects? I think so, yeah. So this is the limited series, I guess the beginning of a beautiful friendship with HBO, which yes. is like how many things? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, we'll, we'll I say love my HBO intro. family. Yeah. Um, but basically you're at that point, I guess, specifically going out for the part of this young patient in the mental health facility that Amy Adams is – character is also going to be in. Mm-hmm. This is the late now, sadly, Jean-Marc Vallée. Yeah. When you went out for it, first of all, like, how did you, were you up against like a million people or did you, was how did it, how did that go? I was up against, I think everybody. <laughs> I, I, it was, it was an amazing, crazy audition experience. I remember I had two auditions with casting and then they brought me in to work with Jean-Marc Vallée and he was such an incredible filmmaker and such an actor's director and he was just so emotional and hands-on with the entire process and I remember walking away from the audition going oh my gosh I really hope I get to work with somebody like that because this moment right here. This is what I've dreamt of my entire life. This is what I've worked for for years and years of being able to achieve. Did you know that Amy Adams was already, it was going to be her in the lead? Yes. You did? Yes, I did. Is that exciting, daunting? Like, cause Both. that's everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. she is someone who you dream of working with, but then also terrified because you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to be opposite somebody like that? And what was that experience? I guess just both, you know, were you able to learn anything from 
acting with or even just spending time with her on that one? Completely. She she's such an amazing actress, but human being and mother and she has such a beautiful balance in life and being able to sit and watch her just work and how she works and how she lives in her character and being able to work opposite someone like that where you just truly feel like you're living in this space in these two characters lives um I learned I just I learned how to be and how to listen and listening is the most important part of all of this mm. shot or I guess cast and shot after that, but released before that is season two of Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. And so that's, but also in 2018 comes out here. Um, the part was this girl, Eden, teenage handmaid, enters into this arranged marriage with the character, Nick, who was involved with Offra. I mean, the whole, <laughs> anyway, um, this was a show that in its first season won Best Drama at the Emmys. It put Hulu on the map. Mm -hmm. And now how does that one kind of – like I heard you didn't have a lot of notice before that one actually came together. I didn't. I I literally – I finished Everything Sucks and Sharp Objects at the same exact time. I filmed those two shows at the same time. I filmed that from April till about September. And then I started Handmaid's Tale October. And again, like you're with some heavy hitters, including Elizabeth. Elizabeth Moss, Max, yeah. everybody. Um, any major takeaways from that one? I have to say, Handmaid's Tale is one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. Like, to this day, I miss it. What, what made it so special? The crew, the cast how every single person involved gave 110% and you could feel it and you can see it on screen and how much everyone just loved what they were doing. And I remember going, I hope that I love this job as much as everybody does for the rest of my life like they have been able to. And they're just so passionate and the sets and the cinematography. I, I, I learned that I'm very into cinematography and I want to direct one day mm. and just watching Elizabeth kind of just own who she is and take control. I was so inspired by it. So that one-two punch of things in 2018, did you like immediately feel that it was opening up a lot of other doors? I mean, it seems like I would imagine it's not a coincidence that out of that or that shortly after that was once upon a time in Hollywood, for instance, was that because you now had this kind of higher profile? Uh, I, I mean, it definitely helps you get through the door. Right. Uh, it definitely helps you get through the door because there's many times when I couldn't even find the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even even for Euphoria, I had to put myself on tape for it because they don't. They, they were like, "You're not gonna, like you're not right for the role," so they didn't even let me come in. To audition for it. That was even before. That was Once before Once Upon a Time. So I finished filming Handmaid's Tale in March of 2018, I think. 2019. 2018. 2018. Yeah, it's March of 2018, and then I auditioned for Euphoria in May. So. Again, if somebody's been living under a rock, we'll just give them the short uh, <laughs> version. This is, <laughs> I think that the way NPR described it is, quote, a parent's worst nightmare, close <laughs> quote. Uh, this is a show about high school students on HBO that are having kind of 
interpersonal complications. In your case, Cassie is not helped by falling in love with her best friend's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, this is now HBO's most watched series ever other than Game of Thrones, averaging 16.3 million viewers across all platforms per episode. But all right, so you mentioned that it was not like, hey, we want you immediately, like, come do this. But how did you, how did you first even hear about it? And was there at that point even a sense that this could be something really big or was it, I guess, like another job? My agent, she sent me the audition breakdown. She's like, is this something that you'd be interested in? And uh, I remember reading all the different characters and uh, seeing the plot description. I was like, oh, wow, this seems crazy, (laughs) (laughs) like really crazy, but interesting and definitely something as an actress I'd be totally into. And, And we couldn't get in the room. So I just put myself on tape. When you say you couldn't get in the room, it's because they were like... And the casting was just like, oh, she's not right for the role. And it was always, at that point, you were you had zeroed in on Cassie mm-hmm. specifically? I think that Cassie was the only... Cassie was the character they had left to cast. Okay. Yeah. Really? So the others had all been filled? Everyone else had been filled. Wow. Yeah. So how, when they don't watch you, do you still get before them? I... Put myself on tape and just sent it in to, I think that my agent and I, we were like just sending to as many different people that were involved in the project as possible. And I ended up booking it off of uh, the tape. How did you hear that this like Hail Mary had kind of worked out? Like, how did it all come together? Well, it was actually, it was a crazy situation. I had booked another series regular on a Netflix series the day before I found out about Euphoria. And at that point, the Netflix series was straight to series order and Euphoria was just a pilot. And so I was really trying to decide which show I should do. And so they got me on the phone with Sam Levinson, the creator, director, god of Euphoria. (laughs) And he spoke to me about Cassie and... I immediately, after just hearing what her season arc was going to be for season one, and it just felt very important for me to do that character, I called my team. I was like, this is the one. I know it's the one. There's no question. Can you tell us which the Netflix show was? Um, It was Chambers, and it only did one season. So you made the right decision there. Uh, All right. You're cast. You head off to work. Had you ever been on a set? Or have, have I can't think that too many people have ever been on set with that many young women of your same age. Uh, you know, let's just know for people Zendaya, Hunter Schaefer, Maude Apatow, Alexa Demi, Barbie Ferreira, Storm Reed. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. That's A, had you ever been a part of anything like that? And B, how does that affect things? I had never. I'd always, it was either like Handmaid's Tale and Sharp Objects. It's all adults and I'm the only quote-unquote kid in the room. Mm-hmm. And then everything sucks. I was kind of like the camp counselor of the whole group. So it was different. I felt like I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was in high school. Very different high it school experience. It was a very yeah. different high school experience. But everyone's so just incredible and became such great friends. Maude Apatow and I, she's like the sister I've always dreamt of having. Zendaya, 
I guess, was doing an interview with Sam Levinson to promote, I think it was season one, and they're talking to each other. And she says to him, quote, I have this idea that all the characters are just different facets of your personality, close quote. He had, he's been very open about the fact that he'd had, you know, addiction issues and all kinds of problems when he was in high school. What do you make of that theory? Like having that go, you do? I always... I've always said that I felt like we were all different veins that were part of his his internal system. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a Oscar Wilde quote that I came across when we were doing all of our Me Too coverage of this, you know, the last few years. And it mm-hmm. says, quote, everything in the world is about sex except sex. Sex is about power, close quote. Can you talk about how Cassie comes to understand and sort of use her Mm -hmm. sexuality to, I guess, gain some measure of control in her life? Because it does seem like that quote is kind of relevant to what she's going through. Definitely in season two. Definitely in season two. She learns how to manipulate and and use that sexual power. Uh, I think in season one, it felt like a, a, it was almost like a torturous abuse to her. But then she turned it around and, and used it and use that knowledge and that power completely. And how about, you know, for you to be asked to kind of inhabit this this woman, um, you know, again, there are parents watching and mm-hmm. people who say, like, God forbid this, be <laughs> my, my daughter, what a terrible thing she has to go through. So everybody, I think, is already sort of on the defensive for you about this because of which what the character goes through. Mm-hmm. Then there was a conversation you had with, I guess, The Independent in January 2022, where you said, quote, there are moments where Cassie was supposed to be shirtless, and I would tell Sam, I don't really think that's necessary here, close quote. And he was like, okay, we, we don't need it, close quote. So my sense is you is you feel that people misunderstood that as being a criticism when, in fact, that was like— Completely opposite. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because again, I think it's coming from people want, feeling protective of no. you, but you felt that that was no. Sam's Sam's amazing. Sam yeah. listens to every single one of us. I mean, you like you said, we have such an incredible cast of very strong, smart, amazingly talented women, and we wouldn't let something happen if we if we felt there was anything going on. I mean, Z's there every day. Yeah. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
when season one premiered, everyone had strong opinions about the show mm -hmm. and about Cassie. Can we first start with the people in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I need to ask, you know, all right, so they see the show, mm -hmm. they see your character. Mm -hmm. What's the feedback? Um, Literally at, at the premiere, right? Yeah, I had my, I randomly brought a lot of family members to the <laughs> premiere. Which was the pilot. Which was the pilot, okay. which is definitely, like, not showcasing Cassie <laughs> and the greatest light. Uh, I was just so excited because it was a big Hollywood premiere. Totally. And that's what I've dreamt of for so long. And I wanted to share that experience with my family. And I don't think about the actual <laughs> experience. But... My my family gets like a, a kick out of it. Like my, I love my grandma so much. But I was gonna say I have to ask you because this was the this I was think it was the best laugh ever at Ellen. It was uh, <laughs> my my grandma when we got done. I remember she leans down and she looks at me. She was like sitting, I think, two or three over from me, and she goes, "You have the best tits in Hollywood." <laughs> That's the kind of cheerleader we all need. And I said, That's "Thank good. you so much." <laughs> Now, when the... I was sinking in my chair the whole time going, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> she made me feel better. That's great. Well, here's here's just one thing. That's the kind of fun side of being able to look at it. And, and mm -hmm. I know there's also, you know, it's brought up a lot of conversations and things that I, I've gotten the sense it's not your favorite thing to get into or whatever, but just to... Uh, one of the things you told our publication was, quote, I wish there was an easier way to have an open conversation about what we're assuming about actors in the industry, close quote, based on, you know, the parts they play probably generally. But in this case, this is Cassie. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel that people have assumed because of that character? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's endless. Uh, I think that they've assumed that I'll just take off my shirt to get a roll. Um, they probably assume that I'm blonde, I'm dumb, that I'm like Cassie in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of degrading things. Well, when I guess the upside of season two is that by that point, I think it was rolling out simultaneously with the White Lotus, mm -hmm. where it's like, could you, uh, this is summer of 2021, mm -hmm. where you couldn't have a greater contrast. And I think you've said for that reason, the response to the performance uh, that you gave in White Lotus was meaningful to you, but also like, where, where have you guys like Completely. been? Yeah. I'm like. It's been me the whole time. <laughs> I guess you did such a good job that people assume that, which is not, again, like idiotic. It's called acting, but. Right. I think people forget that it's acting sometimes. <laughs> I don't know why. Were season two of Euphoria and this season one of White Lotus actually shot overlappingly or just released overlappingly? No, just released around the same time. We wrapped White Lotus. I filmed that September to like Late September to early December of 2020, and then started Euphoria, I think, February, like right right after that. So for the White Lotus, which has now become the White <laughs> Lotus television universe, I yes. think there'll be a— um, <laughs> You were there at the beginning. This is Olivia Mossbacher, judgy mm -hmm. college sophomore on vacation with her family and her best friend. 
Um, you guys are in Hawaii mm-hmm. during, I guess, shot during the really darkest days of the yeah, pandemic, right? Yeah. So getting that, you're around like a, a zillion other great talents. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that one come about? Was that Again, you know, just trying to connect the dots. Is this somebody seeing Mike White or somebody seeing Euphoria and being like, we believe in this person? Oh, no. I still put myself on tape. On tape even after? And I auditioned for it. This is after people had seen season one. after people had seen season one. But because of season one, they didn't think I was right for the character. They even assumed what? That I that I was Cassie. That I was too, like, I'm probably similar to Cassie and I wouldn't be able to pull off Olivia. I had to convince Mike White. How did that go? I got it. No, no, no. But I mean, like, <laughs> how did you convince Mike? Um, well, I, I put myself on tape, and then I had a callback, and I did my callback with Mike, and we hit it off. And I feel like I totally got Olivia. And a week <laughs> later, I was in Hawaii. And this, I guess, was the if there was something most daunting about that one, is it that it seems like it was asking you to do more of a comedic thing than you'd ever been asked to do before. It was. I, for the longest time, had been very scared of comedy because it's the euphoria, the Cassie, the sharp objects, the handmaid's tale, all of that's kind of a comfort zone to me mm-hmm. where I, I can access that depth very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and comedy kind of scared me. I was like, I don't know if I can, I can pull it off. It's a, a different muscle. It's a very different muscle. And because of that, and I've always said, I always want to do things that challenge me and scare me because then I'm constantly learning and I'm growing as an artist and mm-hmm. I don't want to get bored. And so I really wanted to do it and I wanted to challenge myself. Is it the sort of thing where it, you get there and it's either going to be there or it's not? Or are you picking up things from being around other very funny people who are on that one, which... Jennifer Coolidge and on and on and on. I mean, where was it just there when you needed it? I think it was a mixture. Yeah. It was a mixture of I dove into Olivia's character. I had Mike White, who he's just the king at what he does. And the dialogue and the writing was just so spot on. Didn't have to, literally didn't change a word. Mm. Uh, and then working opposite some of the greatest comedians that I could ever be working with. So a combination of all of that led to my performance. Yeah. So just to lay out so people can follow the timeline here, (laughs) season one of Euphoria and season two of The White Lotus both again come out over the summer of 2021 at the same time, right? Overlappingly. June, July, August was one, and then July, August was the other. Anyway, Euphoria's second season finishes rolling out February 27th, 2022. Mm-hmm. And then between that and going back to Euphoria for season three, which I don't know, has that already? No, we haven't gone hasn't back gone yet. Back. So Still since no. then, there's been just movie, 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 right? Yep. Um, including reality, which we're, of course, going to talk about in a moment. But mm-hmm. you've said that in June 2022, so again, like a couple months after the end of rollout of season two of Euphoria, probably in the middle of these movies, back to back to back to back, you start physically feeling not great, right? Mm-hmm. What was going on? Uh, I think that it was just a mixture. I was I was in the midst of filming reality, and reality was tough. Yeah. Reality was super tough. And I had 
press for euphoria and traveling everywhere. And as we'll talk about, like reality was a very daunting character. And I was trying to focus as much as I possibly could on that and getting in that headspace. So it was just a bunch of stuff happening at the same time. And then, I mean, it's just like, as I, I know a lot of people who have had these, I've had, I think, I think that like, where it's like panic attack, is that what you would call it? Like you're feeling... Yeah, like- I think it's just me processing how to handle a, a very a different a different speed of life than your what I'm used to. personal life must have been impacted by the fact that everybody in the world is seeing these two shows. Like how, did, how would you say your day-to-day life was changing as a result of that? Um, just more eyes. Like I, I used to be able to go home and... No one knew when I was home or who I was, and, and that's changed. And I think that was the hardest part was uh, feeling like my safe haven wasn't safe anymore. Is there anything that can that you were able to do or can do to kind of like mitigate against that? Is there, or is it just there's no again once you've— You kind of embrace it. Yeah. You got to embrace it. I got my dog. I'm good. Yeah, because, I mean, only because in in other conversations that we've had on the podcast, whether it was, you know, Jennifer Lawrence when that moment happened or whatever, it's like Mm -hmm. you think you know what you're signing up for, but you you don't. don't. No one actually prepares you for any of this. And how could they, right? Because not too many people. No, no one prepares you at all. And there's no rule book. There's no guidebook. There is nothing, but that's life. And usually this was another thing. I'm trying to remember if I think it might have been one of the folks from Friends or something, but like, yeah, I think it was LeBlanc who's like, yeah, sometimes you become a lot more famous before you have the means to deal with that exactly. fame. Like, so mm-hmm. you people know you, but you can't yet put up the big gates or do all oh. the, like, you can't, you don't have all the things no. that you would like to have. Yeah, and I think that it's it's something that no one tells you about and you kind of aren't prepared for. So I'm just, I'm feeling it out right now. Yeah, it's still pretty <laughs> yeah. relatively new, I guess. Like, I guess. This last year has been a lot. Well, we could, so exactly a year ago almost was when you wake up one morning and I guess find out that you are one of only 24 people who have ever gotten their first and second Emmy nominations on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this is now for Euphoria and White Lotus, I guess— what does a moment like that mean? I was film, I was filming in the middle of filming Madame Web in Boston, and I was in a fitting, so I missed the the, the announcement. live announcement of it. And I got in the car, and my phone was just blowing up. And it's one of those moments where you're like, "Do you want to look at your phone? Do you not want to look at your phone? What am I gonna do?" And I answered a Facetime with my mom, and she was just like crying, and. I started crying. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> Is <laughs> and, everyone okay? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, she, she was like, you got nominated. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then she's telling me more, and, and, and then she brings up the nominations. I was like, what do you mean nominations? <laughs> and I look, and I'm like, oh, my God, for both. <laughs> like, I, couldn't, I, didn't, I didn't expect it. I, had, I couldn't believe it. It was incredible and such a crazy, surreal, dream-worthy experience and moment in my life that I will never forget. And especially, I guess, given probably some of the frustrations that we talked about earlier where people are like, may have some, some may have assumed that you are Cassie because that's who they first discovered you as. Hey. Or then, you know, it's kind of 
got to feel a little validating to have the industry say. Mm-hmm. It was, it definitely felt like a really, a really good validation. And, you know, I, I feel like I go back and forth on it, on people looking at me as my characters. And I guess maybe I'm doing my job really well if they lose right. myself to my character in their right. minds. So it's well, right. if, they, if they think you're Olivia, they're, they're going <laughs> to run in the other direction. I, go, honestly, yeah. I remember the article saying uh, that, like, I, I was playing the scariest teenager on TV. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so one of those projects that you've been that you've made since season two of Euphoria. So this has been a pretty amazingly quick turnaround, I guess, mm-hmm. has been reality, which if people don't know, this is truly the woman's name reality winner mm-hmm. was a person who had access to classified information and elected to uh, share some of it for what she thought was a, a good reason ultimately got the most severe sentence of anyone ever under the Espionage Act, any American ever for leaking classified information. Mm-hmm. Um, five although, years. Five years, right. Mm-hmm. Although this guy, this uh, month will probably eclipse that record. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Tina Satter had made a play about this yep. called Is This a Room? And now wanted to make it her feature film debut. You had never been the lead of a film before. How did these two things come together? It was another one that I uh, put myself on tape for. And I remember my agent sent me the audition. She said, this is this could be really interesting. Uh, and I read the script. And I've never read anything like it before because it was the transcript. It was the transcript from the actual moment in reality winner's life when the two FBI agents— Word for word. Exactly. Yeah, come and they interrogate her, and I mean, you can't write that kind of dialogue. <laughs> you you can't. It's pretty real. It is. It's pretty real. It's just the circumstance and the dynamic and the, these two men in this room and the cats and the dogs. Like, you can't come up with that. No. And I I remember just reading it, and you would go 20, 30 pages, and it would still be the same exact scene. I was like, how is this going to be filmed? This is so daunting, and. Because I was scared of it, I was like, oh, fuck, I got to put myself on tape. I got to do this. And I put myself on tape, got a call back with Tina, and we Zoomed, and I auditioned for her. And I just, I expressed and told her, like, I will give all of myself to this. Like, I want this so bad. And Why do you think that was? What was it about the project because it wasn't going to be a big budget no you guys had 16 days yeah we had 16 days to film i think the budget was like a million dollars and we filmed in staten island um i think because i was scared whenever i get when I, i am scared of something i know i have to go for it and it scared me is it the whole the whole the dialogue and the character the challenge that reality is uh, I knew I, I had to do it. Was this one where essentially you're like any other project, you go home and learn your lines for the next day? Or is this learning essentially the whole shebang? Or what is, because it feels like 
almost like, uh, and I mean this in the best way, like a play, mm-hmm. right? It, we shot it almost like a play. Yeah. We did break it up. Of course we had yeah. to because we were filming yeah, for yeah, 16 yeah. days. So there were different parts in the scene where Tina felt like, okay, if we stopped here, you won't feel it. And she did a great job at picking mm-hmm. those spots because I don't believe that you do. And so I would learn because there was just so much dialogue I would, I would have to learn it the night before. So mm-hmm. we'd film for 12 hours and then I'd come home and, and just run the lines and run the lines and run the lines. Because there's no there. like, oh, I feel like she would have said this. No, like, and that was the hardest part because yeah. I've always been so free with my characters, yeah. especially with Cassie yeah. on Euphoria. Sam lets us just live in our character and run with what we want to say. So it was a very different challenge for me and, and it was it was a lot. So... I guess you may have answered this next question already, but like, like to learn that much dialogue and having to do it so precisely, is there a trick to that? You just got to read. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. Yeah. You just have to, whatever way you memorize best. And mine is by doing it out loud. So I'll, I'll just kind of just keep saying it out loud. And then the next day we would, with Josh and Marshawn, we would run the lines while we're just waiting or getting ready. And, she she's got essentially like a poker face throughout a lot of this where mm-hmm. like everyone's starting you kind of wonder about each person how much do they really know what are they letting on you're having to do a lot of this there are mo- quite a few moments where it's in extreme close up mm-hmm. is that exciting scary whatever because you can't really hide from anything when the camera is right in your face you can't hide anything yeah. at all which is what I love. Okay. I love that. I love when the camera truly can see that your eyes are the window to your soul. Mm-hmm. And with reality, and I got to speak with reality, she was truly just trying to figure out what was happening. So you think that she truly, for until a, it flips in that, or, or I guess like when she's talking about, I'm going to have to put my groceries away or who's going to watch my dog or different things like that. Like um, how far into this did she actually grasp what she was up against? She, she did not grasp until the FBI showed their badges Mm -hmm. and like more serious in the room because she truly did believe that uh, they were coming to look at the house because it was still for rent online. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was, it was like this dance that I wanted to tiptoe around with the dynamics of the characters because it's like this push and pull game of who knows what and who's going to share what at what point. Do you, when you're playing somebody and I'm trying to think how this would apply to the other parts that we've talked about, but like, do you have to sympathize with where they're coming from? Or can you play somebody who you think, I'm not saying in this case it applies, but if you think they did the wrong thing, like, Mm -hmm. can you separate your own feelings totally from who you're playing? Completely. I, I separate myself from my character as like, fully as possible. I create these books for them. That's a timeline and diary of their entire life so that I can just jump into their shoes. But I do think it's important to find, and it doesn't have to be personal, like me personally finding empathy for a character, but I think it's important that 
every character is a human being. Every character has emotions and feelings and they all have good and bad qualities. You and I have good and bad traits. And it's important to find all of that within that character because not no one is born inherently bad. No one's born inherently good. It's all of these memories and these moments in someone's life that creates the, the person you see on screen or I'm sitting across from yeah. today. So I wanted to make sure that I found that human part of reality where someone can watch and, and come up with their own opinion of this person instead of what they read in a tabloid or what they're told. I wanted someone to actually watch this character as a human being and see this human experience. Which in a way, not to get too cute, but like what you're saying about they've got to make their own conclusions and see for themselves. And sort of sounds like, you know, what you've been asking for from acting as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Like maybe there's some weird connection there. But some parallels in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So was there one moment in this? It's an 86-minute, I believe, movie, 80-something. Mm-hmm. Um it it's just like, uh, you know, if you actually sit down and try to write out what happens, it's it's not that it's like you would have pages and pages, but you're on the edge of your seat. And I guess I wonder for for you, was there a part of this that you found, or whether it's a scene or whatever, the most challenging? I know obviously the volume of the dialogue and all that, but is there a, a scene that you or part of it that you felt you had to kind of make or break once we got into that room mm-hmm. I I felt the pressure we there were, really is nothing but you people in the room there's yeah, nothing there. nothing else and yeah. I, I I truly did I felt the weight of the situation and this moment in time and what we were doing so 16 days in and out uh, and then February of this year, was it? It's all a blur. Like, yeah, I guess it was like two, three months ago. You guys go to Berlin for the world premiere. Can you just, I mean, that's itself a pretty big deal to be accepted there. You're in the lineup. You go there, the movie screens, and I will just quote a couple things. I'm, it's not nice to quote yourself, but not me, but this is THR. <laughs> we'll quote ourselves. Remarkable performance, expertly calibrated performance, a complete departure, Variety, who we don't like to quote here, but we will. <laughs> Revelatory, Sweeney's every flicker of emotion, micro-reaction, evasion and retraction is utterly believable, close quote. It goes on and on like that. People can go to Rotten Tomatoes for, for more if they wish, but like <laughs> that's got to feel pretty good. What was, the, what was the whole Berlin experience like of, you know, I don't know if your grandmother was there and had a good align <laughs> this time, but... <laughs> she wasn't. Um, it was incredible. I was just so... I was just so happy because you never know when you do small movies if anyone's going to see them. And you hope that they, you, that people do. You hope that they they do something in the world. And so sitting there in such a huge theater and reality's mom and her sister sitting right behind me and just hearing the audience's reaction as we're watching it. And then I step out and my phone's blowing up with all the reviews. And I, it was just... It was another surreal, dream-worthy experience, and I, I remember I just started crying. It was, it was just so beautiful and amazing, and 
I was really proud. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I guess it, it's a another sign of respect and acknowledgement from the industry, but also is it that, you know, clearly you, based on what you've done since season two of Euphoria, you would like to do more in film. Mm -hmm. This is a good way to get started. It is. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the other, you've, you've knocked out a ton of yeah. movies. What else is coming up? So I, I filmed Madam Web for Sony and Marvel with Dakota Johnson. Uh, I can't say anything about it. But you are the... I can't say anything about lead. it, but yes. I am a lead, yes. <laughs> um, and that was a great, great time. I, I filmed that from June to November in Boston. Yes. And it's just a blast. And what else? There's and then I I went into... I, I started a production company called 5050 Films, and I produced my first movie called Immaculate. I did that from November till end of February, uh, I've been working on that project for 10 years. Anything you could say about that one? It is a psychological thriller. Okay. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, okay. but I was just, it's, it's been a passion project of mine for a very long time. And uh, it was just such a great experience being fully hands on and working from the ground up on it. And then I did Anyone But You with Sony and Will Gluck and Glenn Powell, and it's another one I produced. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it was really fun. I went with Kirsch, and we had the script. We packaged it all together, and we, we sold it to Sony. And that's sort of like a rom-com? It's what? a rom-com. Okay. All yeah, right. completely different than anything yeah, I've done, and great. it was a blast, and we filmed in Australia. I literally just got back a couple days ago. I, I remembered seeing, I saw your uh, gram. Seems yeah. like you had a good time. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Australia is so beautiful, and... Everyone's genuinely really, really kind and nice and wants to be your friend and have a good time. And What did you think of that genre? I loved it. Yeah? I was, again, scared Yeah, because I hadn't done anything like it before. And it was fun. I didn't, there was no crying. There was no screaming. It was just <laughs> there to have a good time and everyone laughed. Seems like a nicer, uh, not nicer because they both have their appearance. It was. It was. Uh, it was a nice break from Immaculate where I was just screaming, crying, covered in blood 24-7. <laughs> and now I'm about to jump into Echo Valley with uh, Julianne Moore for Apple, directed oh. by Michael Pierce. And so anyone of you is a nice little, a little break, a breather. There's two others that I've heard about and I just want to see if you can update us. Mm -hmm. You were going to remake as a producer and actress Barbarella? Yes. Is that still on track? Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's, I imagine it might be a little intimidating to take on a iconic character and movie and all that. What what drew you to that one? Uh, well, I, I watched the original. I was like, <laughs> this is incredibly insane. Right. right. <laughs> and just beyond iconic. And I was like, this would be really interesting to be made in today's world. Yeah. And I I was super excited. I love working with Sony. Everyone over there is awesome. And they're super collaborative. And we're in the very early stages of it. We're working on getting a writer and getting a script and going to put it all together so I can film it after season three of Euphoria. Is this one that you, would it be helpful or not to pick the brain of Jane Fonda? Uh, depends on if she wants to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, always for talking to as many people as possible. Sure. What's the status of another one that I'd heard about for a while, the player's table? This was going to be you and Halsey? Yeah, so we have been in development. I'm. It takes a lot longer <laughs> than I thought to write right. a series, but right. we are three episodes in. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so. we're just 
developing it, we want to make sure it's as uh, it's as good as possible. Why is your production company, which I think you started in 2020, why is this called 5050 Films? Because there's a couple reasons. Um, I truly believe that the best work comes from good collaboration amongst your teammates. And I want everyone to be 50-50 in life. Uh, I think it should be 50-50 in the work that you do, transaction deals, all of it. Everyone deserves something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might make 50 movies and 50 TV shows. <laughs> then you'll rename it. Yeah, yeah. and they'll rename it, come up with a new company. A few just assorted random things. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite and least favorite Cassie meme? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite is, I think, actually, when when Cassie's coming down the stairs or she's walking up the stairs and it's after she's thrown up and her face is just <laughs> completely red and she's sobbing and she sees Nate and she's like, no. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. I love that. I think I you can use that for anything in life. Uh, my least favorite I don't know if I have a least favorite. I think they're so funny. They are, they are. I enjoyed how funny Cassie became yeah. season two. It was so much fun. My life has now become a meme. <laughs> like, I feel like anything I, yeah, I not, do in life, someone's got a meme for it. I was say, not many of us can, like, have a text <laughs> conversation where we show our reaction yep. as a meme of ourselves. Yep. But, um, so the scene that you're referencing where she's got vomit all over herself, I believe. Mm-hmm. That same episode, did that spawn one of your many entrepreneurial ventures outside of acting? What it did. How did what are we talking about here? Uh, I wore a Frankie's one piece. It was pink. And once that episode aired, they sold an extreme number of units of that bikini. <laughs> And just a coincidence. Just a coincidence. Yeah. And Frankie's reached out and they said, would you be interested in uh, collaborating with Francesca? And I said, I'd absolutely love to. I, I've always loved fashion. I've loved designing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for the past year, we worked together on creating a collection and putting pieces together. And we just came out with it. And the collection did really well. Yeah. Many, many pieces sold out. And I, I really enjoyed that process. That's great. And uh I don't know. I didn't fully grasp. I just caught a headline on the way over here. Is Pamela Anderson now doing something with She Frankie's? is. I just saw that yeah. too. I saw that this morning also. How amazing yeah, is that? Pretty cool. That's really cool. Now, at one point, I read that and, and I totally would, uh, I think the whole world would excuse you if this is not still happening because there's a few other things going on. But were you still pursuing your bachelor's degree while you were Doing all this stuff? I was. And you, is it I just was. pacing it a little slower? I, I was in my second year of college while I was filming Handmaid's Tale. And I missed a lot of days. But because education is so important to me, I made dean's list every semester. Hey. And I worked really hard on making sure that I was showing my professors that I was actually doing the work and I was doing the reading. And I would write essay responses to the reading, even though there were no essay responses needed just so that the professors knew I was doing my work. Wow. And I flew in to take my finals and one of my professors for my entertainment law class um, would not let me take my final because they didn't think it was fair. That's bullshit. So I um, want to name I and left. shame this I individual. Not. No, I, do not. I do not. Because I also I understand <laughs> the kids were going to school every day. They didn't right. understand why it was fair that I could still be passing classes and working at the same time. 
So I have to understand that. Uh, so I, I haven't I haven't gone back. I want to. I want to do so much in life. Yeah, I can tell. When I have time, I will. There's the car yes. repairs. Yes. Or renovate restorations. Yep. I work on cars. The bikinis. Yep. The acting. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that is still on the do list that is not that has not yet been accomplished? I know there's mm. probably many kinds of stories and whatever, but like just as a final question, because you packed a lot into 25, 25 yeah. years. Like, what's what's still important to do to, for you? I want to continue producing. I love it. I love reading books. I option a lot of book rights and package and sell them. It's a lot of fun. Um, I want to get into real estate. I want to get into investing, creating funds. I want to build houses. And I want to have a family. I want to direct. I want to write. Maybe I'll become a professional water skier. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> uh, you do. You do MMA, right? I do. Well, so maybe I'll fight. Maybe I'll, yeah, randomly, like- <laughs> I'll randomly. I'll randomly go into a ring one day and throw some arms. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.